This is Bob Ray, and welcome to another episode of Love Like a River, where we examine the statements and expressions of the God of the Old and New Testaments, with the goal of discovering the practical applications of those words for our lives today. Our topic today is prayer, the components that make for effective prayer. We've been in a series. Last time we looked at Jesus's instruction in relation to prayer, and it was in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 5 and 7, we heard Jesus speak of no big public show. So we talked about the externals and internals of prayer. And one of the externals, um, again, this is not an exhaustive statement by Jesus or study of his phrases and statements, but very specifically in this scripture, he said, hey, no big public outward show is needed. Uh, rather, prayer should be in secret. It should be hidden. It should be out of sight. So that was a very strong, clear um, instruction. Then secondly, he talked about no meaningless repetition, uh, like the Gentiles and the idol worshipers of the day. And he said, you're to use meaningful words. Uh, an illustration for that point, we looked at Elijah's 62nd prayer of 63 words versus the hours of fruitless prayer by the prophets of Baal. Uh, they had no answer. The test was to see who was God by who would answer prayer with fire. And those prof prophets um, who prayed for hours and hours, 850 of them, there, there was no answer to their prayer. There was no voice. And most importantly, there was no fire. But Elijah spoke a prayer that was less than 60 seconds, 63 words, and the response from God, he heard his prayer and fire fell. So that's effective prayer. And that's what we want in our study here is to learn how to pray effectively. What is effective prayer? Um, in this study, we pick up the conversation at verse 8, where Jesus says the following. And again, our goal here is to understand effective prayer. Now, we know that Jesus was asked by his disciples, you know, how can we pray? So <laughs> it's very um, common sense to say that he's not going to give them something that doesn't work. He's going to give them something that does work. So um, here in this section of verse 8, we find him saying, do not be like them, like the ones he just talked about, the religious fakes with the outward show or the idol worshipers with the fake vain repetition just going over and over with these various uh, words. And maybe they have their pet little written statements of how, you know, what they're going to pray. But he says, don't be like that. Don't be like them. That is not the way to pray. Then he goes on to say, now I'll show you the right way. He's going another direction now. And he starts with the second part of that verse, giving us that direction when he says this. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Just think about that. It's 11 words. Your father, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I mean, you could, we could stop the recording right now and just meditate, think about those words. What does that mean? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't need outward display. You don't need to hype yourself up. You don't need vain repetition. You don't need to develop all these different words, meaningless repetition. He says that they think they're heard because of their multitude of words. No, that's not how it works. In these 11 words, Jesus gives us three key truths about, about prayer. And these are the three. Um, remember, he said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the first truth is a revelation and the reality of God as a father. And we're going to look closer at that because for the people of the day, God was not understood to be a father. So we're going to look at that key truth, the revelation and reality of God as father. Secondly, the real needs of the disciples and anyone who would pray are known to God. Did you get that in in his statement? He goes, your father knows what you need. Okay, so the second point is that the real needs, yours, mine, all people, the real needs are known by God. And the most important thing, it's, um, he said, it's before you even ask. He knows it now. It's not like you got to write your list out, pray it, and then it goes into the data processor. And now he's aware of it. No, he knows ahead of time what you need, which brings us to the third point. And that is the need to ask. He said he knows these things before you ask. Now, asking is essential. Both Old Testament, New Testament prayer is essential. We need to ask God. We need to pray. So we're going to look at this point, the need for humans to pray and how it is a real requirement of relationship with our Father. All right, let's get to point one, the revelation and reality of God as Father. Now, God, though spoken of as a father to Israel in the scriptures and the prophets, he was not known by the people in such an intimate way. The average person did not think of God as their father. He was distant. He was holy. He was located in heaven. The people had the rabbis, they had the priests, they had the temple. To them, God, Yahweh, the name that wasn't to be spoken, resided in that building, the temple, and could only be approached once a year by the high priest. Jewish culture at that time said that to approach him required blood sacrifice. So if you were going to go to the temple, you were going to take a sacrifice. So what does that do to your impression of approaching God? Secondly, the local synagogue um, was a place where they read the Torah, they read the law. So we had God's words, the people had God's words, but he wasn't presented in a way that he was father. He was the lawgiver. Moses's books, the first five books of the Bible, present God. If you know, you look at those uh 
descriptions. It's all true. It's all real. But it, it, he comes across very stern, the fire on the mountain when Moses goes up. Don't have the people touch the mountainside or they'll be killed. You know, God revealed himself in a powerful way. And these were the words the people had in the synagogue. And locally, they had the rabbis and the teachers. And we know about a lot of them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They got caught up in minutia. So they weren't the best representative of God. In fact, they painted God out as a nitpicking rule maker. And you better not be a rule breaker because, you know, how dare you be a sinner? So their image of God as a father was not at all um, healthy, <laughs> non-existent. How about that? So the idea of talking directly to God as your father was foreign, probably a near blasphemous idea that you could you know, address him that way. But here, here's Jesus saying, when you pray, when you talk to God, call him father. Now that must have come off as extremely unique. I mean, we take it for granted nowadays, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We know the prayer, you know, we've read it, we've heard it, you hear it all the time. It's no, 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 no. You know, uh, it's old news, but this was new news to these disciples. What? We want us to call him Father? Now let's look at that word, Father, um, Peter, um, Father, one who imparts life and is committed to that life, a father, a one who imparts life and is committed to it, a progenitor, bringing into being to pass on the potential for likeness. That's an interesting one, to pass on the potential for likeness. All of my five sons, people will see them and go, oh, you look like your dad. There is that potential to pass on likeness. And you go all the way back to Genesis. God's saying that he'll make man in his image and in his likeness. So a father is one who passes on that potential for likeness. A begetter, an originator, a progenitor, one in intimate connection and relationship. Now there, that's interesting. Intimate connection and relationship. And the Jews of the day would not say they had intimate connection or relationship with God. And Jesus was talking about a person, a father. These people had an impression of God as being in a building. He was there at the temple in Jerusalem, but he was not in their local villages, except in the word, the Torah, the prophets, the, the word was there, but his person was not. If they thought of a person, they would have to think, well, God resides in the Holy of Holies in the temple. But Jesus was not talking about taking a trip, trip to Jerusalem. He's saying, where you are, I want you to call out to him as father. Jesus was talking about direct access to God, the father. Uh, they were used to going to the priests. They were used to going through sacrifice, through tr tradition. No idea of direct access. But that's what Jesus is offering them. That's what he's saying when he calls him father. He's saying, you have access to the Father. Foreign concept to them, familiar concept to us. A uh, few New Testament verses which we are familiar with, and if you're not, hear them for the first time. Ephesians chapter 2, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says this, 
It is through Jesus, through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. That's a key verse, Ephesians 2.18. Write that one down, read it, study this, because you, if you are a believer, have access to the Father through Jesus, and it's the Spirit of God who is active in that relationship. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you have the Son, the Spirit, and the Father right in that verse, the Trinity. People say the Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, they're just not reading the Bible. <laughs> so um, access to the Father is through Jesus via the Spirit. And the next verse, Hebrews chapter 4 book of Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 says this, therefore since we have a great high priest, now Hebrews is all about the Jew, an audience of a Jewish audience, they're familiar with the temple, they're familiar with the priesthood, they're familiar with all these things that God has passed down. The writer of Hebrew does a brilliant job of showing how Jesus has fulfilled all the roles and all the symbolism of the temple. It's now true in him. There was an earthly high priest, but Jesus has become the true high priest. And so as you hear these verses here, Jesus is the one who has opened the way into the eternal holy of holies, God's presence. So who's in there? God the Father. If Jesus has opened the way and we are followers of Jesus, where can we go? into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens from earth, he went through the heavens back to heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus came to this earth. He knows what it's like here. But we have one who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He was truly a human, but without sin. Therefore, because he's our priest, because he's the one who's gone ahead of us, it says in verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. See that imagery? The throne of grace is God's throne. God the Father, let us draw near with confidence, not fear, not trepidation, not uncertainty. No, with confidence. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when you're in time of need, that's when we think of prayer. This verse is a beautiful verse to talk about what you should do in time of need is to draw near to God. And Jesus has opened the way. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Now let's look at another verse. Chapter 10 of the same book. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, his work on the cross, his death on the cross, his actual shedding of the blood has done something for us. Verse 20 says, there's a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, 
that is his flesh. And when it says through the veil, that's a reference to the earthly temple. There used to be a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. And behind that veil, you could only pass once a year. The high priest could go in there once a year. But Jesus on the cross, shedding his blood, dying, his broken body, opens the way. Remember, the, the gospels tell us that that veil was torn in two. It's not there anymore. That one-year access only by the high priest has been blown up. Now you and I have access to the throne room of God. We have access to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, through the veil that is his flesh. And we have a great high priest over the house of God. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And this verse going on to verse 22 says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. See, Jesus's blood cleanses you. Your heart, your conscience, your inner person sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the water of baptism, where we go down in death and come up in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was offering something brand new, a new way, direct access to the Father. And I am afraid that nowadays we take that access for granted. We are too busy with other things to enter into the presence of our Father. I want to challenge us. I said early on when we started this series that we, we were going to pray together. I want to challenge us to go into the presence of God more often. What are your needs right now? We need to take those needs to God the Father. Jesus has opened direct access, and this was a revolutionary message at the time that he said to his disciples these words. This is what you and I have available to us. Now, let's go on to point two, the real needs of the disciples. Okay, so we know the way is open to the Father. Um, again, looking at his words, he said, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we've talked about the Father. The second component here is knowing what we need. And the point here is that the real needs of the disciples, of anyone who would pray, of you and me, are known to God. Listen again to the words. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need. With these words, Jesus, who is an authority on the Father, in the Gospel of John, he says, the Father and I are one. So anything Jesus says about the Father is true. Jesus reveals that the Father knows what you need. You need to think about this. You need to meditate on this. Whatever you're struggling with right now, whatever is a big challenge, whatever you're thinking of, mm, how am I going to get that done? The Father knows that. The Father knows it. He knows what you need. So think about that. What, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts on God knowing what your needs are? How does that compare to the way that you think about prayer? Have you ever thought that God is already thinking about and knowing what's on your mind? 
that he's aware of that pressing need that you're not sure what you're going to do about it? Jesus is revealing that you are already in God's thoughts. Your needs are already in his mind. That's something to think about. That's something to meditate on. That's actually something to celebrate. Because if he knows what you need, what's missing? Even before you pray, it says he knows. Jesus is teaching us that, that the way to transform your prayers from rote, boring, obligation, or maybe non-existent is to be honest about what is real in your life. What's really going on? What are you most concerned about? Where do you need God's assistance? ASAP, this moment. Have you been afraid to ask him about something? Because what this simple verse, simple 11 words are telling us is that he already knows it. He already knows what you're worried about. He knows what you want. He knows what you need. Think about this truth and then act on it. The Father already knows what you need. Moving on to point three, the need to ask. The need for humans to pray is a real requirement of relationship with our Father. Someone might say, well, you know, if God, on that last point there, if God knows what we need, then why do we have to pray? Why doesn't he just give us what he knows we need? Those are legitimate questions, but let's delve into that a little bit. If God knows what we need, then why do we have to pray? Okay, fair question. Why doesn't he just give us what he knows we need? Fair question. Here's my take. God is not an automated sky dispenser, need fulfiller, much like a perpetual supernatural vending machine in the sky. Though that would be nice, it is not who or what God is. Could you imagine a vending machine in the sky and all you had to do is think and boom, you know, that, that medical insurance showed up, boom, that healing showed up, boom, that job showed up. Wouldn't that be nice? The things just, as soon as you thought them, the vending machine in the sky, you know, it was probably designed by God. It'd be so efficient. You wouldn't even hear it. It would just, the answers would just materialize. But <laughs> Uh, that's not who God is. We all know that. Uh, I, I use such an absurd analogy um, just to illustrate the fact that what we know, God is not a vending machine. And here's the main point. God wants a relationship with you and me that requires communication. I'm going to repeat that. God wants a relationship with us that requires communication. You can read the Bible from beginning to end, and you'll find it everywhere. Just look at Adam in the garden with God. Re just read Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Why did God set it up that way? Why did he create a garden? Why did he put all the provision that man would need there? And why does it say that he walked with 
Adam. Adam walked with God. They talked. They talked about the animals. They, they talked about his need for a companion. They talked about his companion. They talked about boundaries, freedom, 2,000 trees you can eat from, one that's off limits. They had dialogue. Adam was in a relationship with the Father, with God, that required communication. And we all know what happened, the fall, the breaking of that relationship. But God did not give up on communication. Again, you read this as you go through the scriptures. God reached out to Noah, and Noah and God had a dialogue. Okay, and out of that, an ark and the salvation of mankind. Abraham, God reached out to Abraham in communication, and Abraham communicated back and forth with God. Jesus, talking with his father, when God himself comes to the earth, we see Jesus praying. We see Jesus talking to his father. If Jesus had to do it, why would it be any different for you and me? Prayer is a requirement of being in this world, in this physical universe. We need to communicate verbally with our creator. All believers from the earliest days of the church have begun their relationship in prayer. Look at Acts chapter 1, 14, Acts 4, 23 through 31. All believers are required to pray. And if you're a non-believer, the first pray, you, prayer you need to pray is, God, forgive me for my sin, and I want to follow you. Take me in. Change me. Your first prayer, thanking God for his grace that he would give you revelation of him. Thank you for your grace to give me the gift of faith. If you're thinking about following God, if you are new to following God, read Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. It tells us that mankind is basically dead in their sin and that God needs to act just like he acted in the life of Noah, acted in the life of Abraham. He acts in our lives to communicate the truth and to provide everything that we need to respond to that truth. So think about prayer as something that God requires. Have you thought about it that way? It is an interesting reality that God requires that we ask. He, he requires that we speak to him, and his desire is that we communicate with him one-on-one. -on -one. He has a desire to communicate with us one-on-one, -on -one, with each of us, with you, the one person listening to this, you and me. He desires to communicate with us. Our creator wants communication. As I said, Genesis 1 through 3, read those three chapters. I believe that God wants a vibrant relationship with each of us. I believe that prayer is a God-given gift to each of us. Long before cellular networks and Wi-Fi, God had the SkyFi network wired in and dialed in. His universe is set up for us to communicate with him. And he's been waiting for us, for some of us, for some of you to pick up that line. Prayer is a requirement. 
Some of you have been believers for a while, but you've lapsed into a period of not praying or praying uh, minimal, obligatory, you know, um, toss a prayer at God type things. But this teaching is saying that God knows your needs and he wants to talk to you about those needs. He wants you to talk with him about those needs. So I want to close this portion of the teaching uh, with a personal example. And it's something that happened to me. It was been a while since this happened, but it was a perfect example of everything we're talking about. I had, I live in Southern California, just a little north of downtown Los Angeles. And uh, there is a town, a beautiful little town called Ojai, north of me, a couple miles, uh, a couple hours. And um, I had taken a trip to Ojai with a friend. Uh, it was a female. We were going on a little picnic trip up there. So uh, we drove up there and um, on the way, you know, we're talking about what we're going to do and this and that. We got a basket full of food and stuff. And um, I wore pants on the way up. So a simple thing, I needed to change into some shorts. So we pulled into this little gas station. I ran in, changed, jumped back in the car and whisk, we were off. And uh, a few miles down the road, we um, pulled in. And we started having our lunch. And I think we might have gotten all the way through the lunch. But something important happened. At a certain point, I realized that I did not have my wallet with me. My wallet with all my credit cards. My wallet with all my cash. My wallet with my driver's license and ID. I didn't have it. So looked in the car, looked in the basket, looked in the pants that I had taken off. It's nowhere. This wallet is nowhere. Okay. And it became apparent that I have just ruined the day <laughs> by losing my wallet hours away from my home. <laughs> Up in the beautiful idyllic city of Ojai, I am a man without his stuff. And I feel like a heel because now, you know, this was supposed to be a nice trip, fun time a nice picnic and it's become a oh my god moment and um you know we had no clue where it was so here's what happened um i suggested to this individual i said let's pray and they were a little peeved you know um so here i am feeling like an idiot <laughs> and asking someone who's kind of mad at me to pray with me. <laughs> but what was neat about this is I didn't really need their uh, calmness or uh, agreement. Uh, I just wanted to go to my father. And this is really what it was. I wanted to talk to my father. And my prayer basically was, Father, I feel like a heel. <laughs> I remember saying this, I feel stupid. I feel like an idiot. And just talking about it, like I had my wallet, you know, I don't know where it is, maybe when I changed back there, but father, um, oh, and that was it. Also, time out, we had gotten in the car, run back to that gas station to see if maybe I left it inside the gas station or it fell down on the ground somewhere. We checked everywhere, excuse me. And that's why the person was upset because we were doing searching and all this stuff. And then comes this, what I have to say was a humble prayer. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm asking God, I'm recounting all the details. God, I have no clue where this wallet is. We've looked everywhere. Please, I'm asking you to find my wallet. You, I said, you know exactly where it's at. And I'm asking you to have somebody find it and they will contact me. And the weird thing is, as I prayed this prayer, um, I had this really strong sense of peace and calm come over me, like it's taken care of. Strange. Um, it just was like an instant answer to me. And I wasn't worried about it the rest of the day, no matter how fuming the other person was. You know, we finished the day there, we had our lunch and blah, blah, blah. And then we drove back. And, um, but I was fully expecting a phone call that somebody found my wallet. I had that kind of faith as a result of that prayer. I was fully anticipating something happening. And my impression of what was going to happen was someone would call, they found it, and then I'd find out where they were. And, you know, we'd arrange a time to go meet them, et cetera. Well, here's what happened. I think it was, we'd got, been gone on the weekend. And um, it was a Saturday we were gone. I think it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday. It could have even been Sunday night. I get a phone call and they say, uh, is this Bob Ray? And I say, yes. And they said, do you, did you lose a wallet? And I said, yes. And um, I said, oh, fantastic. Um, I go, where did you find it? And he said, they found it in the middle of the intersection near that gas station. So I must have left it on the roof. And then as we drove away, it slid off, fell into the middle of the intersection. And he happened upon it. And uh, he told me that everything was there. There was cash in it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, fantastic. The great news. Uh, where do you live? And he cuts me off. He said, well, I'm looking at your address here. He goes, are you in the San Fernando Valley? I said, yes. He goes, do you know where the corner of Tampa and Rinaldi, these are two major streets. He goes, do you know where that corner is? And I'm like, yeah, that's only miles away from where I live. He goes, well, could you meet me there tomorrow? And I'm like, just blown away. Cause not only did God answer my prayer and find my wallet, he had somebody find the wallet that worked lived up there, but worked in the San Fernando Valley and regularly drove down here and was driving down the very next day. And he and I met at that corner and he handed me my wallet. Special delivery, I felt, from my father in heaven who'd heard my real need. I gave that man a Bible. I told him the story. And I thanked him for being part of God's answer for me. But God was listening. But how about if I hadn't prayed? How about if I just let that other person get to me with their negativity and just thought, well, that's that. You know, I have a need, but, you know, tough luck. I'm out. No, I needed to take my real need to my real father. And you, and I need to continue doing that. What are your real needs right now? When we're done here, you need to turn this thing off and pray. You need to tell your God what's really going on and ask for his help, his assistance. He is listening. 
prayer is essential. Let's do ourselves a favor, not just learn about prayer, but let's do it. Let's begin to do it in ways that we haven't done it before. Let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Okay, we're going to continue in this series. Um, you know, Jesus gave us the um, general principles, but in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some very specifics uh, in, in the words that Jesus taught us. So as you're following along, you know, uh, verses five, six, seven, and eight, he covered what we've covered in the last few weeks, but then he turns to some specific words. He lays out the prayer, but it's easy to see that there are various components that make up the whole. There's the whole prayer, but that prayer breaks down into components, and understanding those parts is essential to effective prayer. So as I'm encouraging you to pray, I also want you to Pray as you pray now, pray as you know now, prayer based on what we've talked about to this point, but going forward, stay with us in these coming weeks as we drill deeper into these words of Jesus. Because again, listen to the whole prayer. It's, it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. It's also in, um, the, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Two places and in the coming days, meditate on those verses, but just listen to what he spoke when he said, pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the whole, we're going to read that many times. I want you to read that many times. Meditate on it. But here are the component pieces that we'll be discussing in upcoming episodes. Um, starting at verse 9, there are 10 sections that we'll go over, 10 different components. And here's the breakdown. The first component we'll be looking at is our Father. The second component, who art in heaven, that location. The third component is hallowed be thy name. What does he mean there? What is it to hallow? thy name. What is it to hallow the name of God? The fourth component is, he says, thy kingdom come. Now, should we be praying that today? Was this just for the disciples? What should we do with these words, thy kingdom come? We're going to look at that. The fifth one, thy will be done. Do you want the will of God in your life? I think we all would say, yes, I do. Or Maybe sometimes we say, no, 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 if the will of God is that, I don't know. <laughs> we want to learn what he means here by the will of God, the will of God being done. And then he says, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the sixth component. So what is this thing about earth and heaven? Is there a connection? Is there a parallel? Um, what does he mean by having his will done here the same as there? So I'm going to delve into that. The seventh component, give us this day our daily bread. 
what is he talking about there? When it says daily bread, I mean, you might just say, okay, well, it'd be nice to have food, but is it more than that? What is daily bread that he's asking for? The eighth component, forgive us our debts. How big is forgiveness in your life? Do you notice the connection? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We're going to delve into the connection of forgiveness of others and the forgiveness we receive from God. The ninth component, do not lead us into temptation. What does he mean here? Would God ever lead someone into temptation? And the 10th component, but deliver us from evil. I think we would all want to be delivered from evil. That might seem like a no-brainer, but what specifically are we asking for? And is he instructing us to ask for here in this 10th component, deliver us from evil? So please begin to read and meditate on both of these scriptures, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, and the other in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Here's what I believe. There are valuable treasures locked in these verses, and I believe that as we spend time looking deeper into each component, we will be unlocking personal gold for each of us. There's valuable treasures in these verses. As we spend time looking into them, I believe we're actually going to unlock. The Spirit of God is going to help us unlock revelation, truth, understanding that will become personal gold for us, for each of us, and enhance our prayer lives like never before. We'll grow in this area, and we will have prayer as an even more valuable tool in our lives as we walk this walk. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you for spending time with us. Join us next time. As I said, we'll be discussing those first components of prayer. This is your host, Bob Ray, wishing you the best of God's wisdom and the deeper discovery of his love for you.